We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How to win and how to lose when looking at projections. That's what we're talking about this week on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch from my newsletter, bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work at Rotoviz. He's got a few new articles that I haven't even gotten caught up with yet. So I've been writing quite a bit myself. Very excited to read those. If you're listening to this, obviously make sure you are subscribed over at Rotoviz. Sean, as always, we'll have the discount code for you at the end. Sean, we have a little bit of a grab bag type structure for this week, maybe into next week. Our awesome producer and your Rotoviz overtime co-host, Colin Kelly, is headed to the FF Expo. Anyone who runs into him there, make sure to buy him a beer or something. Say hi. I'm sure he's going to have an awesome time at that. As part of it, we are recording a few things early that we'll release over the next week or week and a half. We have this show idea in place that we have discussed for a little while that once I you know, finally finish my projections, we talk about some of the biggest things that that I found. You, I, I released all of my full projections and my full rankings over at my Stealing Signal Substack, and you've looked through those and come up with some things to question me on about them. We were joking before the show that we probably could do like 20 hours on this. I have a, a huge list of things that I want to get your thoughts on. And as I mentioned, you have plenty that you want to get mine on as well. And so we have this huge list. We don't really know what our schedule is going to be like over the next couple of weeks. We're going to record a whole bunch of stuff and then ask Colm to figure it out for us. We love you, Colm. But just wanted to let you guys, the listeners, know that the pace of the episodes, we don't really know what it's going to be at this point. But very fun show in store. How are you doing now, Sean? Awesome. I mean, this this last week has been one of the best weeks. You had mentioned that we've got a lot of great feedback on the drafting aggressively shows. I know that Column had a lot of fun making the YouTube images for those. And uh, we just appreciate it so much when you guys do get in touch with us and interact and all of that kind of thing. Ben, you mentioned that we're going to have an interesting tempo over the next week, week and a half. I always mention at the end of the shows that you can subscribe to the feed and you'll get those when they come out. Certainly uh, can't recommend that highly enough. And obviously it does help us out. So we appreciate that. But this is going to be a fantastic 
week. And we have an evergreen-ish episode called The Pitfalls of Projections that we did earlier in the summer. And this is kind of the natural follow-up from that. We're going to look at a lot of the takeaways and we're going to look at how to win, how to lose, which means how do you benefit from the projections of someone who just has so much knowledge, both from writing, stealing signals, and then going through the research process, someone like Ben, how do you benefit from the projections? How do you make sure you don't fall into traps that can, projections can lead you into? One of the things that's interesting about Ben's rankings, which in his stealing signals sort of uh, preface to them, even in the headline here, he says, which are bad, and obviously they're not bad, but contrasted with his rankings, which are good, and you'll see different players who are not ranked in the same spot they're projected. And we talk all the time about some of the reasons for that, but we'll go over some of those types of things. And also, we're just going to dig into a lot of players that we think are interesting and relevant. And we'll also try and touch on some players that we don't maybe talk about as often because we're not necessarily drafting them. One of the things, Ben, that I do feel uncomfortable about from time to time is telling people to not draft players because... Number one, I mean, you don't want to be out on somebody who then ends up being a league winner and costing someone who would have created at least some exposure to that player through their natural process. The area that I feel very good about is explaining to listeners the types of players that have the profiles that very frequently become league winners. That's not to say that all of the people we like are going to have that as their outcome because that's not realistic. That's not the way that it works. But you have the profiles and then you have the structural drafting with it. And I mean, structural drafting can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, but certainly our aggressiveness show discussed how we like to incorporate a lot of different elements for that and then how the players go in there. But even with that being the case, I mean, there are lots of different levels of target, you know, you know, must draft, priority target, target, don't really care about, you know, strong avoid at price. And we'll kind of work through that. And that's not to say that every player that we're going to avoid is someone who didn't, you know, who won't contribute to teams because some of those guys will, they're going to hit on outcomes that actually do make them viable options. And you mentioned in some of your writing and the other thing, anybody who hasn't signed up yet, Ben also had a really cool mailbag that he released talking about these rankings. You discuss guys like Russell Gage and Hunter Renfro and you know how those types of players fit in christian kirk another guy it's not that those players couldn't hit and be contributing members to your fantasy roster it's just not what we're looking to do not how we're looking to construct teams and we go back to the the big win small miss types of players and how you need to have enough upside on your overall roster all of those things come into play here but ben today we're going to talk about some interesting team level and player level elements and where we are finding pieces that we can play and where things maybe are tricky. And one of the things that you mentioned at the beginning and was actually, it's always kind of funny when we prepare separately and then have a quick little discussion before the show and then get into it. If we're, you know, you have every player in the entire NFL universe. And obviously we want to talk about a lot of guys, but when kind of the headline is the same thing for each of us. And for me, that was the Los Angeles chargers. And I know that for you, that was the first thing you mentioned. It was. We'll jump into that in just one second because I do want to comment on your comments about being out on players. And I want to kind of reference the great fantasy douche who I like to reference from time to time, who I recall kind of letting telling me at some point early in my career, like there's not a lot of upside to to having that type of analysis in the industry. And you'll see some fantasy analysts that 
basically just avoid that entirely because if you're just you know high on players, then it's great when they hit. But like when you're low on guys, when they don't hit, no one really sort of cares, you know. And especially if they aren't great pieces for your puzzle, but they're producing some, then people miss that a little bit as well. Like I got a lot of flack for Van Jefferson last year, and Van Jefferson didn't help anyone win fantasy leagues. Still kind of stay behind that, but he did have a few long touchdowns. Probably, I, I I overstated his you know high end outcome, or he beat what I thought was his high end outcome. I should put it that way in terms of like yardage and those things. But I would say that I don't really have an issue being out on guys because I kind of just don't care about that. Like it's it's, it's one of my sort of I don't know. You, you sound like a a curmudgeon, but maybe I just sort of am. So I'm excited to to jump into some players that I just really don't understand their price, and I want to be very clear about that because I actually do think that's an element that I guess I feel pretty comfortable with. There's guys that I have highlighted in the past that have been pretty right on. Like last year, the guy that I said all off season was the quintessential dead zone back was Mike Davis. I started saying that really early. I started hearing a lot of other people using that exact same quintessential dead zone back line. That was accurate. So I'm going to, I'm going to continue, you know, there's usually these guys that I usually have a really negative opinion on. I would say from my own experience, the way that I play fantasy, I tend to trust that because I tend to be like, I can't see it with this guy. And I, I usually do have a pretty decent hit rate on that. So anyway, we'll have a few of those as well, just because we love you, even though there's really no upside for us. And I'll, I'll probably wind up telling you not to draft the guy now that I've laid that all out, that that is the league winner for the, you know, for the whole thing. And, and uh, you guys can all throw that in my face later. Let's go to the Chargers, though. The Chargers were one of the most complicated teams for me to project. They're incredibly exciting. I went over to the road of his pace tool in looking at how fast pace they've played the last few years. They've been well above league average in plays per game, extremely above average in 2020, a little bit lower last year, but still well above average. You have to expect a fast paced team. Last year, the big shift was towards a pretty pass heavy approach from the, the year prior, which obviously was Justin Herbert's rookie year. Their pass rate over expected very high. Their overall pass rate very high because their expected pass rate was itself high. One of the highest pass rates in the league. A lot of plays, a lot of volume. Justin Herbert looks like an absolute star. We've talked about that throughout the offseason. I, I keep mentioning, it feels like I keep mentioning the last time we saw him was one of the best quarterback games of the year last year, week 17 against the Raiders. He converted something like six or seven fourth downs in the fourth quarter and into overtime. He was tremendous. In, in huge spots over and over and over again. I find myself really wanting to be on this team. We know they're aggressive from fourth down decision-making. We know they're aggressive from play volume. I I, talk, I, I, mentioned, I just said that I, I, I went to the road of his pace tool, and one of the things I wrote about in my off-season stealing signals post talking about the Chargers was you can kind of split it up however you want, and they look great. You look at situation neutral, they're among the league leaders. You look at just raw snap, uh, seconds per snap, they're among the league leaders. You look at first half or second half of games, they're among the league leaders. And when you go into these different types of splits, you see some teams that every team plays a little faster in the second half, right? Because on average, because they're going to have some games where they're in up-tempo situations. So it's adjusted to the league average. They they also play faster. They also rank among the league leaders on both sides, right? So they're playing fast early. They're playing fast late. They're playing fast in situation neutral situations. They're playing really fast. I think it was when they're trailing by seven or more. They get super aggressive when you should, right? So they show this, uh, this segmented profile that's like, this team is playing with pace very deliberately. 
that's a very positive thing. That's something I want to be on. We know from Brandon Staley's discussions with the media that he's in on analytics. He's in on aggressiveness, fourth down conversion rate, all of those things I, I mentioned, and the pass happiness to go along with it. But the pass rate over expected last year, Justin Herbert looks like a star. And yet there are not any players on this in this passing game that I feel amazing about their price. Justin Herbert is going off at the QB2 in most formats right now. I pretty strongly prefer Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray because of their massive rushing ability. If you look at my projections, you'll see that Herbert comes out quite a bit lower to the extent that I actually took Herbert out of my top tier of quarterback because I have them projected super fast pace and I have him at really high uh, efficiency as a passer. In six-point-per-passing TD leagues, he looks better. In four-point-per-passing TD leagues, which is what I'm kind of basing my rankings off, Number one, he, he is mobile, but he's not going to provide enough rushing value to contend with you know, Lamar Jackson or, or Kyler Murray or Josh Allen. And number two, we do have a little bit lower of a track record. There is a little bit of risk there compared to somebody like Patrick Mahomes, who, yes, Patrick Mahomes has a lot of turnover at his pass-catching group, but we know Patrick Mahomes is elite, and he's elevated the depth-adjusted efficiency of every guy's play. Byron Pringle and all these random dudes. Everyone hates Michael Hardman. Michael Hardman's per target efficiency rates are through the roof. And that's a, that's the case of basically everyone who's played with Mahomes, not just Kelsey and, and Hill, but they, they are for Kelsey and Hill as well. So still feel very confident about what Mahomes is and what the Chiefs offense is as well. Chargers are very similar, right? The, the quarterback isn't necessarily mobile. We think they're going to be up-tempo. We think they're going to throw a lot, but they haven't thrown nearly as much they're 3.8% to the positive and pass rate over expected last year. The Chiefs have been seven or more for four straight seasons, all of Mahomes' career. So almost double that basically every single year. I think the Chargers could still be that type of pass aggressive, but I'm saying that we have a little less certainty that they're going to be that pass heavy. All of which is to say, I do want to be very much on their offense, offense but Herbert is a guy at his price that I have a hard time playing, and he's the one that makes sense to play when you don't love all of the pass weapons. So there's there's basically two questions I want to ask you here. One is very specifically about the Chargers. The second is a big picture strategy question for you. When you have a team that you've identified like this that you definitely want to be in on, but all of the individual players have ADPs that you're not necessarily in love with, what do you do? Because there are two paths that I can see. The first is saying... This is a weighted bet I want to make. Even though I think very positively what the Chargers could be, I have to acknowledge that I could be wrong about that. I don't like any of the individual prices. So I've identified a spot where I'm going to be pretty out on the Chargers, make a bet against them, and basically acknowledge that, I, that I'm not always going to be right. The second is I've identified something here that I want to absolutely exploit. And even though the rest of the market has, and I think their individual players are very pricey, I still need to figure out the players that I think are the best values and make sure to get exposure to them. And really quickly, I'll just run through with Keenan Allen. I've talked a lot about how his efficiencies dropped the last couple of years. His targets per out run was down last year. I think he can still be very good in this offense for all of the offensive reasons I said, but I don't love his price. Mike Williams, last year, sort of a breakout year, but late career, long track record of not being a huge target owner and also wasn't like elite last year. I like Mike Williams the best out of any of these guys. I, I have him ranked over Keenan Allen. I think he's the one that has the potential to really explode, especially if Keenan Allen is kind of falling off. But neither of those guys have a profile that screams to me, especially with Mike Williams' long-term track record of not really being an elite target earner. He basically 
last year finally jumped into like pretty good target earning ability. And he's going very high as well. But he has the A dot, you know, the, the, the air yards, he has the TD potential. And then behind them, I'm not super in on Josh Palmer. I'm concerned maybe I'm missing something there. Jalen Guyton is just a wind sprinter. I've talked about DeAndre Carter a little bit in my offseason stealing signals as a guy that they brought in as his kick returner type who has a little bit of receiving work in his background that super, super deep sleeper that he beats out Jalen Guyton and gets into the rotation. Maybe DeAndre Carter is interesting in this offense. Gerald Everett's a tight end we've always liked, but Donald Parham is getting a lot of buzz in camp, and I think he's a very good tight end as well. So you have multiple good tight ends, which is potentially an issue for either of them getting enough routes and enough targets. So the first question, just broadly, when you have an offense that you really, really like, and you don't love necessarily any of the pieces at their prices, their individual profiles, because you talked about how good you are, and I completely agree at identifying these breakout profiles. If you've identified none of these individual profiles are necessarily what you want, I think the easy answer is play it through the QB, but I'm also talking about an offense where I don't think the QB is an appropriate cost-adjusted bet. Which avenue do you take? Do you say, maybe I'm wrong on the team level stuff and I'm not going to bet on this team because they're so expensive? Or do you go out of your way to, to get exposure? Yeah, this is the reason why I wanted to start with the Chargers because I think they are, in so many ways, the trickiest team, even though they're very straightforward, right? Because I mean, you have Austin Eckler, he's the workhorse. You have those two wide receivers. They're going to be the target hogs. You have what you described there in terms of the pace. And I appreciate you mentioning the pace tool. I really love that. Among the the suite of tools that we have, Conor O'Driscoll just put out a fantastic article using that to help you project pace and pass volume for teams in 2022. A really cool piece that I, I encourage everybody to read. The thing that jumps out to me here is that when I'm looking at your projections, you have Patrick Mahomes at 5,077 yards and 36.6 touchdowns. You have Herbert at 4885 and 34.6. So, I mean, obviously within the same general range, but you are projecting Mahomes for more points. And I have this QB price article about to release on the site going over some of the moves that we're seeing in ADP. And it was specifically sparked by the draft that you and I did, where we were able to get both Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott 16 spots below ADP. So then the question is, well, I mean, is this a trend for more or less all the quarterbacks? And to an extent it is, but there are definitely some exceptions and there are some interesting prices that you can look at. One of the things that we are seeing is that even though there's a very tiny fall, I mean, Justin Herbert has been a quarterback who has held his ADP very, very consistently throughout the entire offseason. You now have Lamar Jackson, a guy that we've been promoting since the beginning. So I feel pretty good about that, that listeners who purchased him when we had those discussions are at least gaining a little bit of ADP value right now. Whether or not that turns into actually being a league-winning play is, is still you know, up to what actually happens this year. But Patrick Mahomes started at the very beginning as more expensive than Herbert. And he has fallen the entire offseason to where he's now really quite a bit less expensive. And when I look at that and I think about the things that you just mentioned and the fact that you have Mahomes projected above him, I do think that Mahomes is a very good pick if you're going to pick any of the elite QBs just because the price is really not taking into consideration 
I think the scenarios that could play out in quite the right way. And one of the reasons that I think that Mahomes has this potential for a massive season and granted, I mean, when you're projecting him at 5,000 yards, I mean, that's a very good uh, aggressive season just to start with. Right now, again, anybody who, one of the things that we all have to do and that we had a little bit of a, you know, obviously a full year at this point to do it, but we are now a 17 game season as opposed to a 16 game season. That does matter when we're looking at what the, final numbers are and we should also note that i i assume health and i get a little a little aggressive with efficiency i i, I noted in my release of the projections i'd think of them more like a 60th percentile or maybe even 70th percentile outcome for most players and i think that that, that i mean there are so many different ways to do the projections and there's so much debate about that i think that the way that you're describing right there is the most useful for right. drafting because we it's want that necess- upside like we well, want to know what what's possible right yeah, and if we if we knock down everybody and compress the outcomes slightly because we know there actually are going to be a lot of injuries, then you get more accurate and less useful. At least that's my take on it. That's my approach. One hundred percent said it so well. So one of the reasons that I think Mahomes can blow up is because he has so many different ways for that to happen. And one of the things I, I did want to uh, ask you about next are sort of your target projections for. The Chiefs, because you have Travis Kelsey projected, I believe, for 154 targets, 150 some, and MVS and Sky Moore both in the 80s. I think, especially with Sky Moore, I think that that could end up being more or less right. But the way that they manifest is going to be, well, number one, I think he's actually going to blow by that. I should, I, I should yeah, state that at first. Place. I think so too. But then, if it ends up being correct those targets will be weighted to the most valuable part of the season. And one of the things that strange to me as I'm looking at the ADP tracking for these quarterbacks is to see Mahomes continuing to fall, even as MVS generated rave reviews in the summer. And since training camp has started, Juju Smith-Schuster and Sky Moore have generated rape reviews all three of those guys cannot be awesome and have patrick mahomes have the kind of season that he's being priced at that simply will not happen right and so from that perspective i'm surprised the other reason in this we get into kind of fantasy tactics and ben you know that i probably am a little bit less aggressive or maybe not aggressive but less focused on some of the stacking elements than a lot of fantasy managers are But there's no question that playing scenarios and playing specific games and outcomes specifically in some contests is a very important element of it. And so if you're looking at drafting Patrick Mahomes, you have a lot of different ways that you can do that in a draft and not necessarily have to reach and a lot of different ways that you could potentially be right with Travis Kelsey. And then those three wide receivers, you mentioned even that Hardman could factor in here. That gives you a lot of flexibility. When I'm looking at the Chargers and I'm looking at Keenan Allen and Mike Williams as solid round three prices, and then Justin Herbert also very expensive. And you're then also thinking of, okay, this week 17 game, one of the reasons why these guys are expensive is that people are excited about playing Chargers Rams in week 17. But the most important Rams pieces are also either overly expensive or have this huge amount of risk attached because obviously Matthew Stafford is the way to play this game from the quarterback side pre potentially serious shoulder injury. So now you're kind of locked into playing Herbert. If you want to get exposure to that game and minimize your risk and exposure to the Stafford shoulder, 
all of that makes, I think, the Chargers much more difficult to play because when you're looking at Keenan Allen and you mentioned the declining metrics or the potential for a little bit of the decline and you're looking at Mike Williams, I don't see within this offense other players to soak up all of the excess volume that still is there when you talk about the Chargers as being a heavy pass rate team and a very, very aggressive team. I mean, you have Justin Herbert projected for over 700 dropbacks and if he's going to drop back 705 times then there have to be players out there to soak up all of that volume now the one thing you think to yourself is that okay even though the type of season that that would create for keenan allen or mike williams is above what they've done historically that still would be possible I and mean, we could be seeing keenan allen or mike williams as the 2022 cooper cup where because you have this context with an elite quarterback and an aggressive offense and players who were good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the talent level of Keenan Allen and, and Mike Williams. And those guys are well above average players who could in this kind of perfect storm scenario, make a jump. Then maybe at, at their third round prices, we should be in on them. One of the reasons that I have a ton of Gerald Everett is simply that he seems like the only guy who could kind of not exactly come out of nowhere, but could finally hit his stride and soak up, a lot of this volume but unfortunately it doesn't even necessarily seem like he's the tight end in camp who is generating you know notes from the beat writer so then again you're like i mean donald paro may be a red zone threat but that's not a player that again you would necessarily expect to take this excess volume i think that josh palmer is probably a really good way to play this team i don't have a ton of him he's always kind of in that range where i still prefer one or two other players that i'm loading up on and so I think he makes sense tactically, but I'm not necessarily getting a lot of him myself. That part of it, I think, is interesting because once you go through and you look at the individual players on the Chargers, then even though this offense is so dynamic, there are some real drawbacks to trying to incorporate the individual players into your 2022 fantasy teams. And as a result, I don't have as much as I would like because I think you have to have some exposure to these types of teams. But unfortunately, the pricing, and I think with the receivers, one of the things that we're seeing is that because the third round is so dead, I mean, there's no, there's nowhere for Keenan Allen or Mike Williams to go. It's not like they can get less expensive and you could at some point get them at a little bit of a discount to where they can beat their ADP. I mean, they really have to go out and have, not a Cooper Cup season, but they have to make a jump to where they have a season that is well outside of what they have done historically to really make sense where they're being drafted. I think the player that, that I like there is that Mike Williams, as I look into this, I think that the mitigation of what looked like it was going to be a massive breakout season for him really did happen as a result of injuries. He gets hurt after about the first month he plays through some of that. And if you play through a serious injury, then as opposed to simply getting a per game, rate of this that and the other thing and all the statistics you know fantasy points and all of the other peripherals that go into you know all of the great projections then you're just out there not getting targeted <laughs> because you're playing hurt and so you don't look like the same player i think that you have to have him as the guy he's not like a heavy target for me but when i get caught and you get caught fairly frequently because that is a, a weak area I do like him. I think he could be a guy, especially because you think about the Chargers offense and you think about his profile, it's very easy to imagine a scenario where he scores 15 touchdowns. 
And if he does that, both in terms of a full season and you think of like week 16, week 17, you know, what are guys who could win you a big tournament? And Mike Williams is the guy. That's where I've landed. But he goes right around DJ Moore, sometimes ahead of DJ Moore, and I want exposure to DJ Moore. I have him ranked behind more. I do have him ahead of, at this moment, Cortland Sutton and Jalen Waddle, who are the other two players I would reference in discussions with Williams that when I've thought through actual on-the-clock decisions and slow drafts and looked at those players in conjunction, I've, like I said, I had Williams ranked higher and I've gone Williams, but I've also wanted to go Sutton and Waddle. So he's being drafted around players that I don't want to not be exposed to. So it's hard, like I agree with you, but it's hard to get significantly overexposed to Williams. I have no Keenan Allen. And he even actually fell after all of these players in a draft I was in uh, last week, the, the Draft Sharks Invitational was a, a fun draft. And I took Jalen Waddle over him. Kind of regretted that. I was like, yeah, it was probably the opportunity for me to get a share of Keenan Allen because I do want to get more Chargers. But yeah, as you just really well laid out. And, and the thing on Palmer, I also want to note, you know, 15.3% targets per run last year, not very good for a rookie. 7.8 yards per target, not that great, especially in an offense with a Justin Herbert who played really well. Wasn't even that efficient. Where he popped was in touchdowns. He's, he had a really high touchdown rate last year, and maybe that's part of what Josh Palmer gets there on this year. But a 1.2 yards per out run as a rookie on almost 300 routes on his profile alone, and then with not a great production profile in college was something we were concerned about with Palmer coming in on his profile alone feels more like a guy you tack on to a Justin Herbert stack in best ball than a guy that you're actively targeting as the breakout to fill this target void that we're concerned about potentially arising if Keenan Allen falls off or whatever happens. But I, yeah, I thought you explained that really well. I mean, the way that I'm hearing it is, is basically the way that I've been playing it. It's complicated. It's tricky. It's unfortunate but winding up a little bit lower on the Chargers overall than either of us really want to be getting some exposure to Mike Williams, who does feel like the best cost-adjusted price, even if he doesn't necessarily feel like a better pick sometimes than the player you take him over, just to get some exposure into the Chargers offense, because he does probably belong in that range at least. Williams, I, I'm with you. Played a little bit hurt. Saw the big jump in targets per run. Has the air yards. Has the TD rate feels like the one that if Herbert really takes a step forward has to come along. If he doesn't come along, he doesn't have a big year. I don't think Herbert has the great year. I don't think Keenan Allen and Josh Palmer are getting him and Gerald Everett are getting him there. It feels like Mike Williams is a key to this idea that we're going to be right on the chargers and they're going to be this incredibly fun offense. And Justin Herbert's going to contend for the MVP. That's going to require Mike Williams, I think. So I do think we've solved that problem. It is, it is annoying, <laughs> the overall situation. I wish they would have got someone fun in there. You know, a third receiver that I felt like had this great breakout profile. And, and all he has to beat out is, you know, Josh Palmer and Jalen Guyton for, for routes. All right. Like, I'll, I'll take that guy all day. But, and that's, like you said, why you were pulling Gerald Everett so much. I mean, that's kind of the closest we had gotten so far this offseason. I want to go to another offense that is incredibly fun. And we took... 30 minutes to talk about the Chargers. So I said we could go for 20 hours on this. I have over a dozen topics. So, and you have some of your own. But the Chargers was the biggest one that we really, really wanted to hit on. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want to talk about next the Bengals. I kind of just want to share some stats. I know you're actually pretty much in on this, but you talk, it, it fits in really well with what you're talking about with Mike Williams playing injured. I see this in life everywhere, but we have expectations of things. We see them happen and we still react to them as if they were a surprise. <laughs> this happens, and I don't, I don't want us to get political, but this happens in politics. This happens in the world or around us where people are reacting to things as if they were a massive surprise, even though kind of saw everything leading up to it. Last year, this time, in my offseason Stealing Signals post on a bunch of Bananas uh, shows, when we talked about the Bengals, number one, the, the concern with Joe Burrow was his ACL recovery. He wasn't looking comfortable in the pocket in, the, in camp. He wasn't even getting a lot of reps. He wasn't going to play in the preseason, but he was going to probably be ready for week one. And I kept saying, and, and specifically I, I quoted it in my offseason ceiling signals post this year from last year's, that by about week four, we were going to feel better, but probably give it a month, right? First three games, they were incredibly run heavy. Their pass rate over expected incredibly negative. They did, they treated them like an extended preseason game. Week four, they finally got their pass rate over expected close to zero. The first three games, it was well into the negative. They were very run heavy. Week five, they finally had a positive pass rate over expected. People are knocking Jamar Chase as not being a part of the top five picks. One of the things I've seen references is he only had 128 targets last year. He was really good to start the year last year, but he had a five-target game and a four-target game in those first three games, in part because they weren't throwing the football. The numbers that I pulled when I was doing my projections was simply to start at week five because we were expecting a slow – this is not a, a cherry-picked split, in my opinion – if we were expecting the Bengals to treat the first month like an extended preseason and to not push Burrow, and we saw exactly that. I literally said week four. Again, I don't think I was perfect in that analysis, but I was try- like, I'm just referencing that before it happened, I was using this as a target. As, you know, I'm not trying to say I'm amazing or whatever, but I- I'm basically just trying to say that if we knew this was going to happen in advance and it happened, we should be willing to then take that split and cut it out of the sample 
and look at what the Bengals actually were after Joe Burrow was healthy. So we started week five. And the, and the great thing with the Bengals is they played four playoff games. So we can start in week five, go through their playoff games, and get a 17-game sample. And Chase dominated in the playoffs, which often doesn't get pulled into full season numbers that are looked at for projections and things. And people are looking at his pro football reference page and seeing 128 targets. If you look at his last 17 full games, he also only played five snaps in week 18. He actually got targeted four times on five snaps in week 18, but he only played five snaps. But if you look at his last 17 full games, so for him, he actually have to start from week four, go through the Super Bowl. He had 143 targets, not 128. Right? That's already an observed number. That's not a paced number. That's not some kind of, I mean, it's a split, but it's 17 full games that he played. His final 17 full games, 143 targets. As a 21-year-old rookie, we would expect his opportunity to increase in year two based on the type of season he had. Blair Andrews obviously has done incredible work on that. Very efficient rookie season typically means big second year. We would expect him to have a big second year just because he is an elite prospect. He was a 21-year-old rookie who thrived. Even in my projection, I only came out to 145 targets. I was going to say, I have to interrupt you here because when I pull up the projections, I was very disappointed because I've got Cooper Cup at 184, Justin Jefferson at 166, Jamar Chase at 145. I have here in my notes that you have a bigger gap between Cup and Jefferson than you have between Jefferson and Devontae Adams as the wide receiver five in terms of fantasy points, uh, not just not targets. I It, it seems like... You're selling me on Jamar Chase, but I want to see this in the in the so spreadsheet. The, this is another issue with projections, right? Like it is easy. So I want to get to the Rams later, but I wrote in my notes with the Rams. You either have to project Cup to back up what he did, or you have to project someone else to be a pretty huge hit. And a lot of people are very high on Allen Robinson. Or I think it could then be, I guess, Tyler Higby or somebody would have to take some some target volume. For me, in my projection, I projected Cup to not back up what he did, and still he comes out way higher than anyone else. Justin Jefferson, similar, was able to push it because I'm not real high on Thielen. He's been falling off over the last couple of years in terms of some of his underlying metrics. Don't really like any of their number two, number three guys, or number, excuse me, number three guys. KJ but Osborne. he like Allen Robinson, impressive in camp, Ben. You're not chasing that. Like he's going to score another 20 touchdowns. Yeah, I'm not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Chase's issue in my projection is I have to project T Higgins and I have to project even Tyler Boyd, who I like to not have no targets because I mean, maybe Tyler Boyd, I, I project him for a 16% target share. It's not great. I think it's close to what he had last year. Maybe he gets completely cast aside, Tyler Boyd, but there's two other players in this offense that I like. And when you get into a projection, you can't really push Jamar Chase as high as you want to push him when you also want to push T. Higgins to rec to represent how good he was. And T. Higgins didn't miss some time last year. And you can make a case that a fully healthy T. Higgins might actually limit what Jamar Chase is able to do target-wise. But it's more of a thing where, like I was talking about, maybe 60th or 70th percentile outcome with Jamar Chase. I feel like it's the 55th percentile or something because of the other players on his team and the way the math adds up. For Cup and Jefferson, it was easier for me to project the 70th percentile outcome, like to really push it. And so I'd come out with this ending result but it for me with chase rather than my ending result in the projection it was this research i was doing which showed number one again 143 targets over his last 17 full games incredible you know i don't have all the receptions and, and receiving yards numbers but higher than his actual regular season 17 game lines on both receptions i think he had 82 catches his final 17 games actually added up to 91 catches uh his yardage went up like 110 yards or something if you if you just roll it to his final 17 full games as opposed to his actual regular season, 
which includes that slow start, also includes Week 18. I mentioned he only played five snaps in Week 18. I'm pulling out Week 18 just to look at the games he was actually playing. I, I listed all those stats in the offseason stealing signals over at the stealing signal Substack if you want to you know read more about this. But you also look at the team, and the team was 61.9 plays per game for the regular season. That's below average. The average last year, 63.3, so about a play and a half below average. Start week five and go through the playoffs, they were 64.1. They were almost a full play above average, about a 2.2 play difference per game. That's a lot. They were they were actually an up-tempo offense. A lot of people talk about Zach Taylor. Hmm, maybe he's you know a very a run heavy coach. I, I've heard I've heard this. Like he's he had these moments where he was run heavy. Actually, once Joe Burr got healthy through the playoffs, this was an aggressive team. They were plus 0.8 percentage points to the positive and pass rate over expected for the season. Just roll in that last month, roll out the first month, they were plus 2.2, a whole 1.4 percentage points higher in their pass rate over expected. A lot more aggressive pass looking when you include their playoff games, they were obviously very much trying to win. Uh, and you include, you, you pull out the first month that they were very run heavy, which we expected, right? So that was the whole point I was trying to make there. I think the Bengals are unfairly looked at in, in projections, and even in my projections with Jamar Chase's targets, as we talked about, as being not quite as pass-heavy as we'd like to see, because when you look at their full numbers, that's what you see. We got enough observed information from them, starting when Burrow got healthy, that I don't think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I struggle with the whole thing, because you mentioned, I mean, if people are upset about Chase's targets, I mean, you're talking about a rookie, again, a rookie, who in the first 16 games last season went for 1,429 yards and 13 touchdowns. The talent level is generational, right? Historic in all likelihood. And for all of the reasons that you mentioned there, the upside is just so extreme. You talk about you know different places these targets could come from. Again, in the first 16 games last season, they had 140 targets for C.J. Uzama, Joe Mixon, and Samaj P. Ryan. And I mean, you can pull targets out of spots that they're less likely to emphasize in the future. And you can pull targets away from Higgins and Boyd. And that's even assuming that those guys stay healthy. You mentioned Blair's article. One of the things it talks about is that these rookies, as they go into year two, are one of the only groups that hold or even expand on their number of targets. Again, part of that is because all players, you have this regression element. But within that context, I mean, Chase's upside is such that I think you have to target him in that range. I mean, he's going, I mean, he and Jefferson are likely going in a much different direction than Cup, even though, you know, Cup, I could see having a multi-year stretch here where he has an Antonio Brown-esque type of you know, two or three-year span. And so you look at it from that perspective, we were kind of joking on OT that I guess Blair Andrews has gotten so many 101s in underdog that he's been using them recently on Jamar Chase. I've been trying to get you to take Chase at the 104. I did a draft with my brother this past weekend, and, and he was adamant not only that we would do uh, zero RB, but that we would pick the most fun players. And so we had the 102. We used it on Jamar Chase. The other thing that's kind of interesting here, I think, when we look at these quarterbacks in the overall teams, and we talk about how are you going to play out some of the scenarios, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins are better options for completely crushing 
in week 17 than Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis, even though we also love those players. And if that happens, if this game goes the way that we would expect, I mean, you, you talk about how the Bengals were obviously peaking down the stretch to make the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow averaged over 40 fantasy points a game across week 16 and week 17. That's not to say that he's going to do that again next season. And in, in some ways, you know, you can think about that and you can overweight the guy who was such a big factor at the end of last year. And yet the case that you're making is that we're actually not waiting in enough, which I would agree with. You think through how you can play that week 17 game in fantasy. It's much less expensive to do it through Burrow than to do it through Josh Allen. And when you think about what you need to have happen for that to be the tournament winner for you, the fact that it comes with a Jamar Chase exposure or a T Higgins exposure and, you know, we think about Jamar Chase in week 17, but T. Higgins had the massive week 16. I mean, you're talking about two guys who could be two of the six or seven best wide receivers in the entire NFL and how that game would play out. You get probably the better part of it. Not to say that Josh Allen or not to say that Joe Burrow is going to have the full season advance rate that Josh Allen might. Although, again, I would point out that things are very skewed in his favor because the prices are so different. Right, even when you're when you're looking at round three versus where Burrow's going at the six seven turn, the prices are so different. And I think that you know, based on the things that you're saying, based on how you would try and play this tactically, I think that well, I mean, there's a reason that Burrow is one of my most rostered players, and that Josh Allen, I don't have any exposure to, even though the fact that I mean, obviously, I think Josh Allen is this unique sort of unicorn type of player both for reality and for fantasy when you look at you know how you're going to play the season and how you put together a fantasy team it just skews very heavily in, in burrow's favor and and that is something that shows up in the projections burrow is one of only three players you mentioned mahomes that i do have projected for five thousand passing yards brady is the other it, it's not herbert but like when you're when you're doing the projections and you're saying Okay, I have to regress Jamar Chase's efficiency, but he has air yards. He has yak ability. He actually had an astronomical efficiency, even though people have pointed out he actually, the drops issues from the preseason carried over into the year. He had a high rate of drops, which I don't think are matter other than to the extent that I can make a case that if his drops rate regresses a little bit, he has even more big plays. I mean, he could have, like, that limits yards per target type efficiency when you're not catching the ball at a high rate. And a couple of the plays could have gone for long touchdowns. It could have. T. Higgins, similarly a fantastic player that I'm I'm projecting is not that far off from Chase, who we noted at my projection is probably low on Chase. But I have both these guys is so efficient that that efficiency is going to carry back over to Burrow, who was incredibly efficient last year, the only qualified passer who completed 70% of his passes, even though Jamar Chase had some drops issues, even though you know some other elements. Burrow did take sacks at a high rate, and some of that is going to help your completion percentage if you're not – throwing balls away and things like that. But from a lot of the advanced metrics I've seen and heard about Joe Burrow looks like just an incredibly efficient player. I, I mentioned, I sent a tweet out that all three of his running backs had at least 17 targets and they all caught at least 87% of their, of their passes. So he's dumping off to running backs at a rate. That's about twice as good as the average running back catch rate, about 75%. You say there's about 25%, you know, of, of the attempts go fall for incompletions for Burrow. It's about half that. So even when he's, you know, getting through his progressions and dumping down, and it's all three different running backs, you know, and they all had a, at least 
17 targets. Piran had just over 30. Mixon had 40 something. The, the three of them combined to catch it. They only had like eight incompletions on like 90 targets, 92 targets to them all season. So Burrow looks to be everything he was billed as. He has incredible talent at wide receiver. Yeah. I like what you're saying there. I, I, I don't wind up super high with him in my rankings because, again, he doesn't look great from a rushing perspective. He should run a little bit more this year, but not somebody who's going to pop off. There really has to hit high-end pass yards and pass TD numbers. But a little sneak peek for the Stealing Lines guys, uh, our subscribers, Dalton Cates, who I do that betting service with, took Joe Burrow to lead the league in pass yards as a prop. I, I loved that pick. I mean, I think it's very possible. You also mentioned Cooper Cup, and I want to talk about the Rams because I have them listed, and I already kind of layered in what my thoughts were on them, which is either Cup backs it up or something in this passing game has to give because there's just so much. Like, you you can't regress Cooper Cup without creating a lot of available opportunity for somebody. Allen Robinson's gotten pretty expensive, so I, you know, I we've gotten to the point now with Robinson. I wrote about an off season ceiling signals where he can have a good year. He can have the touchdown rate that people have talked about. He's going to be a red zone weapon. That That's fine. And still probably not crush you. If you're not taking him, I don't think he's going to be a big hit player at his cost, which is what fourth round now. I mean, it's very high. So some of that can go to Robinson and not really be something that's necessarily actionable for the types of players that we're targeting. You can also take AJ green much later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But you mentioned Cooper Cup maybe moving the different direction than Jamar Chase. I'm curious your thoughts on Cup because I don't look at that if you're not real high on Robinson. And we know that Stafford has an elbow issue as well. So maybe we should throw in how concerned are you about the elbow issue? He's still throwing a camp, I would say for myself, not particularly concerned. I do think that could lead them to be a little bit more run heavy than we're expecting and even I projected. But I wasn't projecting them to be a super pass heavy team anyway because they're not necessarily a super pass heavy team. There's still going to be a lot of targets. It is a, a good offense that's going to score points, that's going to move the ball. Their play volume should come up this year. Last year, their opponents ran way more plays than them. They were sort of victims of their own efficiency at times. I mentioned Van Jefferson's long touchdowns. They had a couple of drives that were just so quick that they didn't run as many plays, even though they're winning games. Typically, winning teams run more plays. So that was a, a surprise in the Rams' data from last year, running far fewer plays than their opponents despite winning 12 games. What are your thoughts on Cup? Where do you think these targets go if they don't – if Cup doesn't have another 180 target season. Well, at this point, I mean, they obviously have to go to Allen Robinson. And so even though uh, I, I keep rooting for his price to rise since, since I don't have a lot and I don't want it to be something where he could easily beat me in a bunch of leagues. He's up there into the range where that's probably not going to happen. But I do think that Cooper Cup comes right back and does what he did last season. We kept expecting at some point for it to fall off because it has to. Right? You can't stay that hot for that long. And then he goes out against some of the best defenses in the NFL and torches the postseason when that's all the Rams had. I mean, when you're looking at the fantasy or you're looking at the reality playoffs and yeah, Odell Beckham did have a mild resurgence compared to how he was playing with the Cleveland Browns. But I mean, it was just Cooper Cup to win all of those games and they still couldn't stop him even with gadget defenses. Quick note on that. He had 25.7 PPR points per game during the regular season. It tied Devontae Adams for the most by a receiver since 2000, more than Randy Moss's 23 TD season, more than Antonio Brown's best season, Julio Jones, anyone else, Calvin Johnson. Adams only did it in 14 games, Cup did it in 17 games. And then Cup eclipsed that 25.7 PPR points per game mark across his four playoff games. 
which is insane. I mean, it's insane. So when you're looking at Cup within the context of this offense, I think that with Stafford healthy, I mean, he's a very reasonable 101. We talk about trying to get exposure to Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey because they're such unique running backs, and any other running backs are going to start off just so far below where they are. And yet, I mean, Cooper Cup is that at receiver. The fact that Beckham gets hurt and isn't going to be a part of this team for the first half to two-thirds of the season all, all likelihood. One of the things you're still looking at when you're thinking about the highest leverage portions of the fantasy schedule, there are some other options for Odell Beckham, and that may become more clear you know, once you get to that time of the year and, and certain teams that are Super Bowl contenders are looking at what they need to add. But the Rams definitely will be in play. And so he's a guy I think could really hurt Allen Robinson in terms of that secondary upside. But you'd have to look at it in a similar fashion to what we were talking about with the Chargers, where there just aren't that many other options here. Because Van Jefferson, not only not going to be a volume player, but now is it has an injury, right? And supposedly he'll be back for week one. But one of the things that you do start to worry about, it, it kind of looks right now like there's a chance that we're right on J.K. Dobbins. You say always have to say kind of because, I mean, someone could get re-injured or he could play and it turns out that he's you know just not the same guy and so the fact that he actually plays is worse for you because now you're starting him in your in your redraft teams but players who are getting hurt right now i do really worry about their ability then to be ready for the start of the season and then how do they actually play once they come back so i guess that's my other concern you know with stafford and the interesting note there is that i mean again you have this massive gulf between cup and jefferson that does seem justified but during the stretch where there was the most concern about stafford's shoulder jefferson did sneak ahead of him in underdog adp yeah and i think he's still going higher right now i i heard just yesterday that he's he's going higher at least in one of the underdog contests i think they have different adps but yeah right and so you're going to have to kind of look at that balance because i think one of the things too that you, you look at with the vikings is this is another team where the targets are, are pretty straightforward in terms of where they're going to go. And they're going to go to Justin Jefferson. <laughs> and so you don't have a ton of risk with the very top guy. The question then is how do you really want to price the number two? You have Allen Robinson. You have a lot of what, you know, we could label arbitrage plays on him. Adam Thielen would be one. He obviously is, you know, getting some buzz in training camp. The new coaching staff supposedly really loves what he brings to the table and what he's brought to the table for the last, you know, five years is being a very good player. Now, his ability to draw targets and to be explosive with the targets is declining. He is reliant on his work in the red zone, but a little bit like a red zone back, you do get the impression that he will be featured there. Uh, very similar to the situation, and, and we touched on this just briefly with the charges, but similar to the situation with the Bengals-Bills Week 17 game, the very clear way to play Chargers-Rams would have been through Cup and then Stafford as a much less expensive quarterback than Justin Herbert. You have them fairly close together there in your projections. You have Stafford at 49-66 and 34.7 passing touchdowns. As you're looking at this, Ben, before we kind of close the book on the first projections episode here, what are your thoughts on the Rams' 
moving away from letting Stafford be the centerpiece down the stretch, how did that factor into, you mentioned that they had a play volume that was below what you would expect other teams running a lot of plays against them. They played into this in some ways in the reality playoffs with their own run tendencies, even though acres was struggling, especially if the shoulder isn't there, I guess my concern would be that you could actually see the Rams become, I don't say very conservative, but a conservative team. We talked about it in our kind of our divisional previews and our sort of team wins episode but the kind of counterbalancing element with that is that we do expect the NFC West to be very good and to score a lot of points. Yep. And this is how I'm approaching them in my, again, the off season ceiling signals posts, I break down every team. I do signals and noise. There's a ton of stuff, all this data that I've talked about on the show, you find it on every team and a lot more, frankly. So go sign up. I called that signal, Matthew Stafford's elbow injury. I, I wrote that. It seems at least like a concern that could signal a bit of more of a run lean, Early, I use the early qualifier. I don't know if, you know, maybe he'll be better late, but I, I I think the way you said it is the way that I'm leaning, which is like every day, the more I think about that, like that was a thought I had while writing this. And then I, sometimes after I write it, I, you know, it's, it either crystallizes and I'm like, I do really believe that. Or maybe I'm like, hmm, maybe I've got a little aggressive there. I should walk that back a little bit when I get a chance. Um, with Stafford and the Rams, this elbow stuff does seem concerning enough to me that, you know, you mentioned the pass yards, you mentioned the gap between him and Herbert. I, I just said a second ago that I'd probably change their pass rate. One thing I don't do with projections is keep them updated for every bit of news because I don't put them into any accuracy thing and I don't really care. Right. Like, but I, I would look at my Rams projections now and say, I would shift them towards a little bit more run heavy I'd make a, a full season shift. Does that mean you play Cam Akers? I mean, maybe. I've been kind of down on him from a health perspective. I do really like Daryl Henderson as an option in the in the 12th round. I think you're right, though. Cup is the play still and, and is still a good play. I don't know that I really want to be on anyone else in this passing game. And then it's, you know, maybe Akers or Henderson. I, I don't think I want to be on Stafford at this point. I, I just – this is a team – like you said, this is a team that has had tendencies. Sean McVay has had tendencies to lean toward the run and – they're going to probably be in competitive games, like you said, where they're going to have to throw at times. But the pass rate over expected wasn't like super high last year. I would expect it now to, to fall back a little bit and, and then to be a pretty balanced team, which is less exciting for fantasy. And if Cup is still Cup, which we're talking about him being, he, he can still really perform in a pretty balanced team. But what it would mean is a lot less to go around for the rest of, of the weapons. And it would mean Stafford's overall numbers – don't approach 5,000 yards. And I think that's where I'm at. But that's a great way to wrap up our look at this first group of teams. And again, what we covered today, and I think is is very fun, sort of playing Bengals, Bills, playing Chargers, Rams. These are the headline games for week 17, which makes them sort of the headliners for the entire fantasy season. But not just that. These teams are extremely relevant in terms of how you get to the fantasy playoffs. If you're playing redraft, if you're playing best ball, these will be the players who determine titles. And certainly they're going to determine how you approach the early rounds because so many players from these teams going in the early rounds 
that was a lot of fun. We'll be back with you soon for another episode of Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. We talked about his cool Stealing Signals posts that are out now. Make sure you sign up. Also, Stealing Lines, his betting adventure with – it's going to be an adventure. His betting venture, though, with Dalton Cates. Make sure you sign up for that. We'd love to have you guys over at Rotoviz. So many of the writers doing fantastic work right now. We have all these great tools. We'll have the Sports Info Solutions Advanced Stats. You can use the coupon code RVRADIO2022 at checkout for a 10% discount on your one-year subscription. Then we've been enjoying these underdog drafts. Anybody who wants to join us over there can do so using the code ROTOVIZ. When you sign up, you'll get a 100% deposit match up to $100. Subscribe to the feed, leave us a rating and review. Those really help us with the algorithm. We appreciate you guys so much. We'll talk to you soon.